The peace of Christ be with you. Give yourself a moment to settle in, to slow down, to take a couple of deep breaths that you might recognize the presence of the living spirit right here in, with, and among us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Please rise if you're able and join me in the call to worship. In the beginning was the divine word. Christ is bound by time Let us open ourselves to the divine reality in our midst. Let us learn to recognize this presence with each new day. You may be seated. I do want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. It is good to be with you. If this is your first time here, or maybe this is your first time back with us in a long while, welcome. It is certainly good to be here together. I do want to invite you after worship out into our patio area, a chance for some coffee and tea, and a chance to get to know each other just a little better. So hope you'll hang around just a little bit following worship. For those sitting here in the center during our offering time, if you would grab that pew pad, sign it, pass it down, then pass it back to the middle and take a look at the names of the people that are sitting near you. You can greet each other following worship. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. Timeless God, we yearn to glimpse your presence and that often we fail to see you at work in the world and in ourselves. We have been taught that you are bound by institutions, 
or present only in some. And yet your presence defies the limitations of our own minds, prejudices, and preferences. Broaden our understanding, increase our awareness, expand our consciousness, that we might participate in your activity here and now. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, hear the good news that in Christ we are forgiven. We are set free to celebrate all God's good gifts and to share them in justice and in peace. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now is a time in our service where we share with each other the prayers that are on our hearts and minds today. So if you have a joy or a concern to share, I invite you to raise your hand and let us know. Ruthie. I give thanks for the life of Boyd Gerald and offer condolences to his family and colleagues who were surprised by his early death. Yeah, so Ruthie lifts up the friends and family of Boyd Gerald, am I saying that correctly? The conductor of the Marin Oratorio, right? Who died very suddenly this past week, absolutely. Others? Yeah, Cindy. So Cindy had some very specific folks she was praying for, and then in general, those folks that are still, you know, continuing with the lockdown due to COVID reasons and just the struggles that come from that, absolutely. Yeah, Barb. Well, thank you, Bob. And if you, if you couldn't hear her, she was recognizing that apparently today is Clergy Appreciation Day. So she was offering appreciation for Rob and me and Jeff. And let's add you in that too, Barb, as our Associate Pastor Emeritus. Amen. Elizabeth, what? Yes, today also is Barb's birthday, indeed. So prayers for you. Sherry. Amen. So, Sherry, first offering a joy for both her aunt and her mom's birthdays that they were able to celebrate, um, and then lifting up Rob, who's been struggling with lots of headaches for a couple of years now, and had a medical procedure this past week that we're praying will bring some relief. The only thing that makes it worse is attention, so... Uh... <laughs> we're going to give him lots of attention. <laughs> We're going to pray for Sherry because he just, she just outed Rob. All right. Yes, over here. Amen. Prayers for the animals and ecosystems affected by the oil spill in Southern California. Anyone else? All right, let's take just a couple moments of quiet, and then we will share in the Lord's Prayer together. So let us pray.
Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people. And they're offered in the name of the one who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Amen. I'd now like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. And while they do, I realized I walked away from my notes during the joys and concerns, and I forgot what I was going to share with you. So while our kids come forward, come along. Um, um, if, if you feel comfortable doing so. Um, Lauren, prayers for the family of Dave Bartreff, who was a member here for a while, mostly connected to the Sleepy Hollow Presbyterian Church, who died recently. Um, and his service is going to be at the Mount Tam Cemetery tomorrow at 11 a.m. Um, and then a prayer of joy. I wanted to note that our 
high school confirmation class, kind of at the last minute this past week, got an invitation to go to the Voyager Carmel Center in San Rafael today, this morning, to do some service work there. And it's especially a joy because they're the very first volunteer group that Voyager Carmel has been prepared to receive since the pandemic began. Um, so it's really neat that they're able to be there doing that this morning. I will say that's sort of messed with our high school Sunday school class, which is supposed to begin at the beginning of worship. So if you are a high schooler and we're searching for our class, come join us after the time of discovery and uh, we'll make class happen then. Okay, you guys have been waiting so patiently. Sometimes I like to share books with you, so I brought a book today that's titled Mine with an exclamation point. And you can see on the cover are two rabbits fighting over a carrot. And what I love about this book is there aren't many words involved. It's really the pictures that are important. But the word is important. And so page after page, it says, mine. They're looking at the carrot, right? Mine. Oh, no, there's not even a word on that page. There it is. Mine. Mine. Uh-oh, who's going to get the carrot? Mine. 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 Obviously, they want the carrot. Mine. 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 See? Pretty easy book to read. <laughs> Uh-oh, they dropped the carrot. Oh, there is a much larger rabbit on the scene. Mine. Mine. Oh, oh wait, new word. Ours. Mine, ours, mine, ours. Oh my goodness, what is going to happen? Okay, interesting. So, these rabbits are come across a snowman or woman or creature, a snow creature, we'll call it, missing a nose. Now, what is often used as a nose? Yes, a carrot. Hmm. Now, these rabbits have been fighting over this carrot, and it looks like this snow creature could use a carrot. Right? Look, it even has like a sad face. <laughs> oh, dear. So what's going to happen? Are they continue to think that the carrot is theirs and fight and fight and fight? <gasps> no, look. Yours. They gave the snow creature the carrot. Uh, I find this book kind of kind of funny, kind of sad though. They were so concerned about whose carrot it was. Mine, 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 mine. The whole book is them arguing over, oh, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. But then finally, at the end, they realized that you know what? Maybe the joy comes in sharing. Maybe the joy comes in giving this carrot that really isn't theirs. They just kind of found it, right? To this creature who really needs it, right? To begin with, maybe it really was the snowman's. To begin with, it wasn't theirs at all, right? So, so we're going to talk in Sunday school today about how maybe we can, you know, not worry about so much about grasping onto stuff, but think about how we might share and care for others. So again, as I said, we're going to head out to Sunday school. If there are middle and high schoolers sitting out there, you're certainly welcome to stay in worship, or you're welcome to join us uh, with Grayson to go out to Sunday school. So why don't we head out? Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the Our first scripture reading is John chapter 8. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to our church. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets also died. Who do you claim to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, 
My glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, he of whom you say, he is our God. Though you do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see me, he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abram? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is holy wisdom, holy word. The second reading comes from one of Paul's writings, one that we know as 2 Corinthians, 13th chapter, verses 5 to 10. Continue to listen for the voice of the Spirit with us right now. Examine yourselves to see whether you are living in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you fail to pass the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed, but we pray to God that you may not do anything wrong. Not that we may appear to have passed the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. This is what we pray for, that you may become perfect, so I write these things while I am away from you so that when I come, I may not have to be severe in using the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. This too is holy wisdom and holy word. Thanks be to God. Test yourselves. That's what Paul says. Examine yourselves to see whether you're living in the faith. How many of us secretly cringe a little bit at the notion of being tested or examined on how well we're living the faith? And a more interesting question might be, well, by what measurement? How would we determine if we're passing that test? Judging by the way I'm sometimes greeted in the grocery store, I think church attendance must be high on the list of supposedly central measurements as some people dive into the frozen aisle to avoid eye contact. <laughs> One time somebody literally climbed in the freezer. No, I made that up. More often what happens is I'll, I'll see somebody, and before we can say hello, there is a barrage. I'm really sorry, I haven't been to church. We've got volleyball. Um, I should tell you, I don't carry an attendance log into the store. I keep one in my car and take notes then. But, uh, but we've sort of made that you know, one of the measuring points, and it's important. Coming to church is important. You may have felt that more than ever this past year. But it's important because of what it leads to. Hopefully it leads to a growth in faith and in community, right? So it's, it's a portal through which that hopefully happens. It itself is not the essence. And I wonder what other maybe poor measurements we have inadvertently placed at the center that maybe could be replaced. Maybe it's a superficial list of to-dos and not to-dos that don't really add up to lead to any meaningful transformation, the kind that Jesus invites us to. Or maybe it's some kind of abstract set of theological propositions to which we're supposed to uh, agree, even if we don't fully understand. Sometimes we pick the wrong measurements. How do we really know what it looks like to be living into the faith, as Paul says? And I like that he uses an active word, living. It's not a one-time test. You say the magic words and you've passed and it's over. It's an in invitation for lifelong transformation. And it's amazing how much of the Christian faith, and I suppose others as well, don't really uh, mirror the kind of uh, growth in love in caring for neighbor, in building more just communities. 
maybe not even just human communities, thinking of the prayer shared earlier today. How much of it doesn't do that? Right? But Jesus, in this encounter that you heard Stefan read moments ago, gives us a picture of at least one example of what living in the faith looks like. He's challenged by folks, and if you've been coming the past few weeks, these stories have been building, but he's got some, some challengers, and they accuse him of some things. They, in fact, today they just insult him. You Samaritan, you have a demon, they say. Actually, at that time, everybody had spirits, which demons weren't all bad. Good spirits, bad spirits. But they're accusing him of having a bad spirit in him. And Jesus immediately responds, I do not have a demon. I honor my father. And he's speaking now of, in a spiritual sense there. And he goes on. He says, those who follow me, they'll never taste death. Well, this confounds his challengers, who are also Jewish, like Jesus was. And they say, what do you mean, won't taste death? Everybody dies. Even Abraham, the patriarch of the faith, died. And Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced at my time. And now they're really confused. They're like, wait a minute. You're not even 50. And you're talking about Abraham rejoicing. How did you meet Abraham? He lived hundreds of years ago. And then Jesus says, well, before Abraham was, I am. And they're like, okay, this guy's lost. I don't know. It's that notion at the beginning of John's gospel where we see the Christ as being around at the beginning of time and all throughout time. Now, there is a lot in that back and forth. I didn't even summarize it all to unpack. And that's usually what we do. We, we go to the text and then we try to unpack it and see if it means anything for us today. But I don't want to do that. I actually want to do something different and point to what isn't in the text. What isn't mentioned. Now, Jesus is insulted with two things. One is he, had a, he has a demon. What's the other one? That he's a Samaritan. That's an insult to Jesus as a good Jew. If you didn't know, and many of you may know this, Samaritans and Jews were bitter enemies at the time. I mean, this is what makes the parable of the Good Samaritan such a powerful tale that Jesus tells, where a Samaritan, the enemy of the people he's telling the story to, is the one who crosses enemy lines to help out someone uh, who's Jewish, and his religious leaders just pass right on by. That's what makes it powerful, is because the two are enemies. They actually share a heritage. They're Semitic peoples as well. They have the same line. They share some of the same sacred texts. But as you may know, family fights are sometimes the most bitter. You're a Samaritan. You have a demon. Jesus says, I don't have a demon. On the charge of being a Samaritan, he says, nothing. Now, the two insults might be related because it was a Jewish belief, as one of the commentators remind us, that Samaritan prophets had demons. So perhaps Jesus is thinking he's answering both charges with one statement. I don't have a demon. Therefore, you know, I'm not a Samaritan. He's answering both. Or, and more interestingly, maybe he's simply refusing to accept the premise that to be called a Samaritan is an insult. And therefore, it doesn't warrant a rebuttal. Now that's interesting. My father was a professor and one of his colleagues at Indiana University moved to Arizona. Uh, he was a, a Sikh man. I think it's actually pronounced Sikh. I grew up pronouncing it Sikh, but S-I-K-H. And if you know anything about that religion, you'll know that the men are recognizable by long beards and turbans. And so in the West, they're often confused for Muslims. A common confusion. Uh, if you know the history of those two groups of people, you'll know what an irony that is, but I'll get to that in a moment. So they're often confused for Muslims. And this man was moving to Arizona uh, shortly after 9-11 and was driving cross-country after that time. When he got to the state of Kansas, a state trooper pulled up next to him and peered in his window 
and proceeded to follow or drive with him the entire length of the state of Kansas. He was not escorting him to make sure he was safe. He was watching him. The man said it was totally traumatizing, harrowing, eerie, hundreds of miles like that, greeted in his new home in Arizona with a smashed windshield. Even though the president, President Bush, had been very outspoken about avoiding anti-Islamic sentiments, we know that threats against Muslims went up at that time, and by extension, those who looked like Muslims, like Sikh men, for example, in their turbans. Now, the irony of that, of course, is that by many accounts, Sikhs and Muslims have been bitter enemies. They have a history, at least, of significant bloodshed, and there's no love lost, at least in some pockets, uh, to this very day. But there was an interesting decision made around that time by some members of the Sikh community, and that was purposely not to set the record straight and distinguish themselves from Muslims. To not go out and say, oh, no, no, I'm not a Muslim, wear a t-shirt, not me. But to purposely allow themselves to be confused for Muslims and bear the burden of their so-called enemies' sufferings. There was an author and uh, in, in professor who wrote about this, and I'll read you some of his quote. He's a sick man, but actually a professor of Islamic studies, which puts a, uh, one foot in, uh, in each world. And uh, this is what he said. His name was Dr. Simran Jeet Singh. He says, over the years, many have asked why we don't just tell people that Sikhs aren't Muslims and leave it at that. Why don't you let Muslims deal with their own problems? Is a typical question he said they would get. Wouldn't it be easier and safer for you all to just tell people who attack you that they got the wrong person? But he says the problem with that is that it deflects the hate onto another community. And he says that's not right, nor is it fair. Now Singh acknowledges that not all who share his faith share that sentiment. And so they don't want to stand in solidarity. And he's been criticized for the work he does as an Islamic scholar. But he says this, my faith, my faith teaches me to engage in authentic solidarity, to see others' oppression as our own. It's, it's just not an option to throw another community under the bus, even if it makes our lives easier and safer Standards which we often hold up as the most important ones. So when Jesus opts not to clarify that he's not a Samaritan, part of what he may be doing is standing right between the slanderous stereotype of Samaritans and the actual human beings who are Samaritans. And he stands with, as he so often does, those who are attacked. Christ preaches with his feet as much as he does with his mouth, where he puts himself. Now, why do I pair these things? Uh, that story and that explanation with this question of Paul about whether we're living up to the faith, this invitation to test ourselves. Well, what better measure of how we're living into our faith is there than to consider for whom we would be willing to be confused. Which enemies are you willing to be confused with for their sake? Now that's a measure with some teeth to it. Christ reminds us there are people who need us to stand with them. We were at a, a gathering out at a park of families, not a church gathering, and uh, the kids were all gathered in one place, and there was one child who was causing trouble. He had a stick, and he was like hitting the other kids, like poking them. So I stepped in and said, look, that's, we're not doing that. That's not going to happen. 
and it sort of diffused things, but the kid kept hanging around the group and was clearly bothering them, not physically, but just sort of bothering them. Finally got the message they didn't want him around, so he walked off, and I thought as an anxious parent, great, you know, problem solved. And then I, as Return to the Adults, I kind of looked up at one point, and I saw this kid just walking around by himself, meandering with his stick. And I was just overcome with a wave of sadness. Because I saw him, and I thought, in this moment, he's as friendless as he's going to be a lot in this life. Here's this child who clearly doesn't have the skills or the capability to make friends, but probably needs them more than anyone. And he's, you can just see it sometimes in a young child where the path might go. And uh, I was just overwhelmed with sadness. And I, who's going to stand with him? And I don't blame any of the kids for not wanting to. But I said, okay, next time he kind of makes his way over to us, I'm just going to say, so, try to connect with him in some way. I had already had one sort of terse interaction with him, so I want to balance that out with a kinder interaction and try to connect with this kid just a little bit so he doesn't leave only thinking he got scolded. So he makes his way over, and he's got a shirt on with some... Star Wars characters. It was Mandalorian, I think, if you're into that. And so I said, uh, I said, hey, I said, hey, do you like Star Wars? Thinking, you know, here it is, master connector, right? I'm gonna sign, right? Mr. Rogers in the park. It's, it's he's gonna write a memoir about this moment and what I did for him. Do you like Star Wars? And he said, no, I hate it. And I uh, walked away. Not the best sermon illustration, right? There's no, yeah. Uh, but sometimes when you do that thing to stand with someone, even in small ways, I mean, talk about it, I mean, the small act doesn't work. And you're not a hero. You don't change anyone. But I'd like to think I wasn't doing it to be a hero or to be recognized, but just because I recognized in him that he needed someone to be with him, and, and it failed. But I'd like to think that that came out of uh, my faith, that I was exercising something that my faith taught me. So often, we exercise maybe the wrong impulses our faith has taught us. Or another way of saying it is we've been taught the wrong impulses, or we've been taught to focus on the wrong things, or the right things in the wrong way. I was in a conversation with a woman uh, not long ago, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. I mean the nicest people you'll ever meet. And uh, to my shock, she was describing how mean she was as a girl, as a child. And, and not mean just to uh, her siblings, which we can, some of us who have siblings can understand once in a while. But she said, no, I was mean to my friends. I was really floored because of the woman that she is now. Well, as conversations do, it kind of meandered topic to topic. And later she said something else that caught my attention. She said, you know, I feel guilty all the time. All the time. And for things that most of us would never even notice, they haunt her, they keep her up at night, she feels regrets, she'll think, oh, why didn't I say this, or I shouldn't have said that, or oh, did he notice this? She said, I'm just guilty all the time. Now, interestingly, there are a number of women in the conversation, and they all started going like this, which said something to me about how we teach our girls. But she said, I feel guilty all the time. And she said, uh, do you think that has anything to do with religion? Yeah. She, now, she's a woman of faith, and she knows my vocation, so I think that's why she felt like she could ask that. But what an interesting connection to make. And I said, without even thinking, Definitely. I mean, it came out of me before I could think about it. Well, by one measure, you might be saying, wait a minute. Her faith worked. She passed the test. She was a mean girl. She's a nice woman. But maybe that's the wrong measurement. Because by a more nuanced, complex measurement, it had failed her. She was not a nice woman. She just took the meanness that was directed outward and turned it inward. Now, I don't, I'm not blaming her when I say that. I'm actually aching with her when I say that. 
If the measurement's so simple, be nice to everyone, but you're not taught how that looks like and how to nurture the soul and, and, and not just redirect the negativity inward, that's what we produce and that's not the product we're looking for. I want a religion that makes love go both ways, outward and inward. Love in all directions, that's the point. Yes, there'll be times when we'll suffer and you won't always feel good about yourself because you'll make a mistake, you'll get something wrong, you'll cause trouble. But suffering isn't the point. Suffering's a byproduct of the point. The point is loving in all directions. Paul says to test ourselves. Examine ourselves deeply with how we're living in the faith. Jesus shows us a picture of what it looks like to stand with those who are under attack and not to be afraid to endure what they quote-unquote deserve. And that woman and that child are modern windows into how much of that kind of love and solidarity is still in need this very moment. If your religious practice isn't helping you do that better, it's failed the test. I don't mean you failed the test, but it's failed the test. And if your religious practice doesn't help you do that better, find a new one. I don't mean necessarily find a new religion, maybe, but find a new practice, a new manifestation of that so that you can honestly answer that you are truly living in the faith to which Jesus calls and embodies. Amen.
these gifts and help us live our faith, radiating your light in all directions. Amen. May be seated. I invite Bev Alexander Ford for a moment for stewardship. Bev. Thank you, Rob. Um, thank you for the opportunity to share why I love and support our church. And thank you for such an amazing sermon to illustrate um, exactly that. Living in the Bay Area, it can be really easy to get caught up with many kinds of striving. Um, we're striving for innovation, we're striving for excellence, um, for success, for beauty, for fitness, you name it. It's a very hard driving community, like the, the broader Bay Area, and you can feel it. There's a drumbeat about it. But what I love about our church is exactly what Rob preached on, um, which is that it channels all that striving energy into things that are more God's values, striving for goodness, striving for kindness, striving for love in every direction, striving for helping people, knowing God, and more. You know, the, the, every sermon here is talking about these other things we can strive for. So when I come here, our amazing pastors and our loving community help orient and, and even completely reorient my heart I believe in better directions, um, and I'm very grateful for that. I, I always come away from here feeling grateful for that and feeling better in some way. Um, as an elder and a deacon, I've worked with these remarkable people um, who serve the church and inspire me continuously with their devotion, spiritual practices, and spiritual maturity. As a Sunday school teacher, I met the cutest kids. <laughs> and got to watch them grow up. How awesome is that? Um, and in teaching them, I got a chance to clarify some of my own beliefs, which is uh, its own kind of gift. In Women Connecting, I um, get to learn from accomplished guest speakers and swap stories from the heart with the most wonderful, compassionate group of dear friends. And when I was injured, this congregation poured love out on me and brought me not just cards and flowers and meals, but consolation, prayers, and soulful companionship. When I'm troubled or confused, the world-class preaching here lifts me up every single time, every single time. And it's just this better place of healing and inspiration. So to say that this church has enriched my life is a massive understatement. <laughs> That's why I pledge and will increase my pledge this year to take advantage of the matching program. You've probably heard, but I want to tell you again, <laughs> Westminster received an incredibly generous uh, matching challenge from a fellow church member. And for every new pledge or increased pledge, that donor will match us dollar for dollar up to $50,000. So we hope their generosity inspires your generosity in making either a new pledge if you didn't pledge last year or an increased pledge um, this year over last year. So speaking of pledging, um, we have a number of uh, elders and deacons here to make their pledges. And as the church leadership team, we would like to help inspire you. So I'd like to invite all the elders and deacons in the room to come up and place your pledge on the communion table. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bev, and to the whole stewardship team, and to all our elders and deacons who do so much, often behind the scenes. It's always moving for me to see them come forward, and it's important for you to see who they are. We had some at the 8.30 service as well. 
A number of things I'd like to lift up to you as we start to move outward. We uh, are trying our best to continue to improve our streaming services for those who need to be watching from afar. There was one training this morning for some folks who will be helping us with that important ministry. We did some helpful troubleshooting over the week to fix some audio issues we've been having. But we could use more. It would be great to have a nice big rotation of six or eight people so that not just a few people are bearing the burden of that every week. So if you would like to learn how to do that, we have a theoretically dummy proof, though you should really test it on me before we approve that, manual that will literally walk you through step by step how to do it, but we're happy to, to train you as well. See me or see Vince DeQuattro right here in the front, um, and we can get you on a list and find a time to show you how to do that. Huge gift to the church. Secondly, a number of you some time ago went through an accompaniment training to work with uh, refugees or um, immigrants that have come here who need help. And those of you who went through that training know more about what it means than even do I. But there was a dearth of actual people to work with when that training was done. Well, now we know we have, uh, there's a man from Venezuela who is making his way here now who does need a good bit of help. And uh, so there's an interfaith community rising up to work with him and his family to support him through that task of accompaniment. If you know what that means or you don't know what that means but you'd like to learn more, please either let me know, let Charlotte Montgomery know, or Trig McLeod. I know sometimes I throw out these names and not everybody knows who those folks are. You can always ask one of us, but you can also go to the member section of the website, password Moses10, and find the directory and look people up and contact them directly. Sometimes folks forget that's there, so I want you to know that's there. Third, next week we plan to have a congregational meeting very briefly to formally appoint the nominating committee that has actually started to do some work under Vince's capable leadership. But we never last year, because of a number of things, formally voted on them. And uh, that group is, is ramping up their work now to find the next class of elders and deacons and to help with the committees populating their commissions as well. So um, right after the service, we will vote them in. Uh, I, I understand they're close to having a full slate, but I also think there are a couple of openings. So if you're not a current elder or a current deacon, but would be willing to serve on that or learn more about it, again, talk to Vince or talk to me, and we'd love to add you to that slate for next week. Looks like you want to say something. No? You're just adjusting. Okay. I don't know if he's twisting arms. Go ahead. Please, everybody. Yeah. I need a finance chair. Yeah. This really is... Uh, I think the most important committee in the church. And I say that because they're helping to populate all the other committees. They're the ones that cultivate, find, and enlist the leaders. And so we need your help in that work. Yeah, if, if you guys get an email for me, please take me out of your spam folders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. Because, uh, we are, we're desperate. Uh, yeah. Marco, I think, is there somewhere. Yeah, he's in the back. And he's going to punch me in the throat if I don't find a new finance. Yes, yeah, yeah. Harbo is not threatened to do that, but Vince feels the heat. Yes, that's right. Okay, uh, enough about that. So meeting next week, <clears throat> we're looking for a couple of folks to join in that effort. Uh, let us know. Uh, after the service, at 11.30, we'll do a new member orientation. And we'll, we're are going to welcome in and get to know some folks who have expressed an interest in joining the church. If you're one of those folks, and even if you didn't sign up in advance, that's okay. Meet me right here at 11.30, and then we'll decide whether to go outside or to go into one of the meeting rooms. I am actually looking for one more elder to attend that class or to come back at 12.20 at the end of the class for a vote. Um, so please see me on the way out if you can do that. Otherwise, I have a backup solution. Uh, I think that's it. I'm going to make sure before I let you go. With that, then, in body or spirit, would you rise for the closing hymn number 673?
always stand in a bit of awe of organists. And where, from where I sit, I get to see them playing with all four limbs. And I'm particularly moved by that, because I know Patty was hobbled recently with an injury, and she's still at it, legs and hands. So, so for, yeah. So to Patty and, and to Mary, who blessed us with music, and Ruthie, as always, we give you thanks for lifting the worship and song. As you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.